murderers decoding the crime verse. Nine one one, what's your emergency? That one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed that all men are created. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Welcome to Decoding the Crime Verse. I am Nolsey Lee. And I am Danny. And today, we have a dream. As promised. Uh-huh. If you don't know what we promised you, it's because you didn't listen to last week's show. And why not? Exactly. Why not? Go back after the show, though. Finish this one. Yes. So, <laughs> today, we are going to look at the assassination of the civil rights activist Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. And if, as always on this show, there is a conspiracy behind it because mm. last week we we focused on the weirdest and craziest conspiracies, conspiracies yeah. throughout history and one of them involved martin luther king so we thought in order to actually decide if the conspiracy is true we need to look at the case if you don't know who martin luther king is i don't know who you are if you don't know who he is how how do we compute uh, what are you actually listening to the show if you yes. don't know martin luther king <laughs> but you know um because in the in the Reformation there was Martin Luther, mm. and now there's Martin Luther King. Yeah. Why do famous people have to do the same? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so we're gonna give you some background, and then we're gonna go into the assassination and then <coughs> the conspiracy. So Martin Luther King was born on January the fifteenth, nineteen twenty nine, and he graduated as the valedictorian from Crozer Theological Seminary. A whole valedictorian. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 1951, he became the pastor of the Baptist Church in Mon- Montgomery. Uh, is AL Alabama? I'm assuming. Uh, we are not from America, so we do I'm not know the, st- the state codes are. <laughs> and he later completed his PhD. He was a religious man, and he looked at the treatment of people of color in the United States and said, saw that it was absolutely wrong and against God's Will. In 1955, he was chosen to lead the citywide bus boycott, and two years later, King and a group of civil rights activists formed the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to conduct nonviolent protests for civil rights. He was inspired by Gandhi's activism, and he worked with the SCLC to organize black voters and civil rights protests. It's Alabama. I was right. Mm-hmm. In 1963, <coughs> King was arrested in a march in Alabama, and on August 28, 1963, Ki- King led more than 20,000 people in a massive demonstration to the Lincoln Memorial where his speech, I Have a Dream, became a defining moment of the civil rights movement. I have stood on that spot. I have a picture of me standing. Every single time we do a cool show, she says she's gone there. My biggest complaint is that in December, she wants to go visit the the memorial for Diana. Not Diana Ross. I was about to say Diana. <laughs> Princess Diana. And if you've listened to the show, you know she doesn't deserve to. Anyway, you can You know go. what? You are just rude. I'm also going to Jack the Ripper's locations. <laughs> go there. You deserve to go there. I'm you very excited. You don't deserve to go to Princess excited. Diana's memorial. Anyway, it is said that um, 
Martin Luther King personified the civil rights movement. He helped pass the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and received a Nobel Peace Prize that same year. He continued his peaceful efforts towards both racial and economic justice. However, after delivering his I've Been on the Mountaintop speech in a rally in Memphis, King was assassinated the next day on April 4th, 1968. Numbers Hmm. are getting switched. While standing... On his balcony of his motel room, King's assassination was devastating but sparked other movements across the country, such as, uh, I know there was a poverty movement and it also kind of amplified the black power movement. King was awarded the Presidential Medal for Freedom in 1977 and the Congressional Gold Medal in 2004. Today... The Martin Luther King Jr. National Holiday continues to be honored on the third Monday of every January. So... He's a greatly celebrated man in American history. Yeah. The assassination. Now, assassination is a little bit complicated. Yeah. I'm so confused. <laughs> um, it's like a whack of information. Yeah. But we're going to try and make it easy for you Yeesh. to understand. So, on 6 p.m., on 6 p.m. <laughs> Definitely. At 6 p.m., on April the 4th, 1968, a patrolman... Um, his surname was Richmond, of the Memphis Police Department, was at his observation post inside the fire station on South Main Street. That's where King was staying. And he was an African-American undercover officer who had been instructed to keep an eye on Martin Luther King because obviously he was causing, at the time there was a couple of white supremacists, things could happen. Yeah. Later on, a police tactical squad had stopped at a fire station for a break when Richmond came running to tell them that someone had shot King. Witnesses reported that the shot came from a red brick building on the other side of the road. The officers immediately ran to inspect the area. One of them found a blue suitcase which inside contained a rifle and I remember it also like had a scope and a couple of other objects so obviously this is the discard of the material by the assassin why would you do that why are we discarding thing fingerprints right there right there by the seat like you couldn't right take there. it with you fingerprints. and especially you know what it's not like he was walking out with a rifle he was walking out with a, with suitcase, a suitcase from a motel you understand what i'm and saying I understand, like if there were police roadblocks they would have caught him but no. he would have made it out in time exactly Ugh. so a witness says it had been dropped off just a few minutes earlier by a sharply dressed white male. Shortly afterwards, a white Mustang had left the area on at high speed. At 7.05 p.m. That's another thing. If you're fleeing a crime. Just drive, drive like a normal normally. person. <laughs> People are going to notice a car speed. Don't listen to us and go commit a crime, though. No, don't. <laughs> but, like, why are we drawing attention to ourselves? You literally fle- No, literally. So, at 7.05 p.m., King was pronounced dead at St. Joseph Hospital and the FBI immediately declared this a top priority investigation. Investigators traced the origin of the shot to a rooming house owned by Mrs. Bessie Brewer, I think that's how you say it, at 422S Main Street. She reported that John Willard had registered on the 4th of April between 3 o'clock and 3.30 p.m. and he was approximately 35 years old and 5 foot 11. Other guests reported that after the gunshot went off, they saw a man running with a large bundle under his arm. Again, don't run. 
act normally. Because then they wouldn't have exactly. known who it was. Known. But apparently also, they had noticed that someone had been in the bathroom. Because obviously it's a rooming house, so you share a bathroom. Yeah. They had noticed someone had been in the bathroom for like ages with like no shower running yeah. or anything. So people were a little bit like, what's going on? Yeah. A few minutes later, a man matching Willard's description dropped the bundle, which contained a model 760 Regimenton Game Master rifle, and it had the scope. So that's now what then the police found later on. The very, that very day, the FBI actually were able to trace the rifle to an Aero Marine Supply Company in Birmingham, Alabama. On March the 29th, a man named Harvey Lohmeyer had bought the rifle and scope and then exchanged the original weapon for the 760 the following day, saying he needed a more powerful weapon to hunt deer. The FBI will also went through a bunch of hotel and motel reservations in Memphis and found that on the 3rd of April, an Eric Stavros Galt had registered at the Rebel Motel in Memphis and the man matched the description of John Willard and drove a white Mustang. So he obviously was using different aliases when checking into different places. Agents found that Galt had bought the Mustang in August of 1967, listing a home address in Birmingham, Alabama. While asking around for him, they discovered he loved dancing, which will come into play later. On April the 11th, police found the abandoned white Mustang in Atlanta. By searching the car, they found that it had been serviced in Los Angeles. The FBI then started paying um, dance schools a visit and Galt's name popped up in the records at the National Dance Studio. Here the owner mentioned that Galt's, one of his interests was becoming a barman. So investigators then found the International School of Bartending in the area and Galt had indeed attended one of the courses and actually his photo was on, his graduating photo was on the wall. Listen, I gotta give it, the, the FBI's doing the things here, hey? They really... No, like literally tracking the car to the dance studio to the bar school. Do you get what I'm saying? It's either they're doing their job or they're sitting. That is also true. Yeah. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, meanwhile, agents in Atlanta searched throughout low-cost rooming houses looking for evidence that Galt might have been staying there. And they found one that he would register to on the 24th of March. Uh, in his room, they found a map of Atlanta where someone had circled the House of Reverence King and the headquarters of the civil rights organization. So clearly he'd been stalking these people. Yeah. Further clues proved that Galt returned to Atlanta on the day after the assassination, but that's when the trail kind of stopped. Luckily, the FBI were able to recover three fingerprints from the binoculars and the rifle. You see, you left mm. the rifle. Now look what happened. Thanks to the extensive database on the April the 19th, they found a match to a man... Um, who they thought was Everett Galt, but his actual name was then identified as James Earl Ray. Earl. Why would you do this, Earl? Why? So now we're going to take a look into some history about Earl and what led him to kill yeah. Martin Luther King. So he was born on the 10th of March, 1928, in a very poor and rough neighborhood in Alton, Illinois. Okay, when he was seven, his dad was arrested for forgery, but when his dad was free, he actually moved the whole family to Ewing, Missouri. Okay, but tragedy kept pouring into the family's life, as in 1937, one of their daughters, Marjorie, died in a fire. This death actually tightened the bonds between James and his brothers, John and Jerry, and the three remained close friends for the whole of their adult lives, helping each other in hard times. It was actually with John that James first experienced 
his first arrest at 14 for selling stolen newspapers. So criminal from the get-go. Yeah. At the age of 15, he spent most of his free time with his uncle Earl, who introduced him to the world of night bars, brothels, gambling, and brawling. <laughs> 15. Okay. When his uncle was arrested in 1943, he went to stay with his grandmother and took a job at a shoe factory and was staying out of trouble. But he started hanging out with his other uncle and a co-worker named Henry Stumm, who was an American-German who did not hide his admiration for Hitler and the Nazi parties. It's his uncle later actually stated that it was because of this friendship that James grew his hatred for Jews and African-Americans. Hated. You see, bad company yep. corrupts good character. Well, he... he, he yeah, he, but he, as he in beliefs. Because, okay. I mean, he was still a criminal. Yeah. At the end of World War II, the military suspended orders from the factory he was working at, and so he was laid off, and then he joined the army. In 1946, he earned his marksman's qualification, so that's how he was able to shoot King, because obviously yeah. he was qualified. And then he was actually transferred to Bremerhaven in Germany, but it was not a very positive experience for James. It also marked a period of petty crimes as he sold illegal cigarettes to civilians or traded them for black market goods. In 1948, he began drinking heavily, and according to his brother John, he also experimented with drugs. In October of 1948, James was charged with being drunk in quarters. He tried to flee. But was captured again, and then he was dishonorably charged because the army was like, uh, we don't need this yeah. in our lives. James was arrested for burglary in Los Angeles in October of 1949, and this was the start of a recurring pattern of burglaries and incarcerations. There was a brief period where he was relatively stable for two years in Chicago, where he worked several factory jobs and attended night school and even dated a girl, but it didn't last. On May the 6th, 1952, James tried to rob a taxi at gunpoint. On and then got arrested, but on upon release in March 1954, he learned that his family was disintegrating. John and Jerry were in jail, his dad was gone for good, and his younger siblings were in institutionalized. Hectic. So his family's gone. Yeah. James then was like, oh, well, let me return to class. There's nothing else for me to do. In March of 1955... He burglarized a post office in Illinois and was sentenced to 45 months in prison. Because of good behavior, he was actually offered a spot on an honor farm for model prisoners, but refused because the farm was racially integrated. And he, this, he wanted to stay in the prison, which was segregated. Yeah. After his release, he moved to St. Louis and returned to his old habits of robbing gambling dens. So he doesn't Why didn't they just keep him in jail? Like honestly, literally every time this man gets out, he's back at it. Isn't there like a parole board that sees it? I don't know. I don't know. Was parole a thing in the fifties? I don't know. That's actually an interesting thing. I don't know that. In the summer of 1959, he pulled a string of twelve robberies. A whole 12 in a summer. At this point, this man is epic. Because <laughs> they keep letting him out. Yeah, like, is. What he do they expect him to do? He was arrested in October 1960 and sentenced to 20 years. In November 1961, he staged his first attempt at a prison break using a makeshift ladder. But the contraption gave way and he crashed to the prison <laughs> courtyard. For the following three years, James kept a low profile but dealt in contraband such as bookmaking and dealing. <laughs> oh, and feed amphetamines. That one, it's the, it's medicine. Yeah, <laughs> that was smuggled in by his brothers James and J James, John and Jerry. 
Reminds me of Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> the time spent at this prison, the prison is known as Jeff City, yeah. increased his racist views and he was frequently got into fights with black convicts and guards. He began planning to move to Rhodesia. Okay. Okay, now listen to this. Because he believed it didn't have a black population. So I don't know if you don't know this. Okay, so Rhodesia, well, it's now Zimbabwe. Yeah. Is in Africa. Yeah. So you're telling me this man... Plan to go to Africa. To, to Africa, find no black people. To find no black people. <sighs> they should have kept him in jail. <laughs> like, what? What? Where's the logic? Where's the logic? <laughs> I don't understand. But anyway, it's, it's... You know when you're just that dumb? Yeah. Yeah. According to his fellow convicts... Um, well, according to his brothers, actually, they said he never actually hated Martin Luther King personally. He just liked... All African-Americans. But according to his fellow convicts, apparently he had pondered the idea of killing Martin Luther King for a while because he thought he could get money out of it. He theorized that because the civil rights leader was enacting all these economic boycotts, the business owners would pay for his murder. So was there this business leader's plot? In 1976, the House Select Committee of Assassinations discovered a group that may have wanted King dead, okay, and could have possibly passed uh, crossed paths with James while he was in prison. According yeah. to Russell G. Byers, who was a St. Louis criminal, a real estate developer, John Kaufman, had introduced Byers to John Sutherland, who was a wealthy segregationist lawyer who offered $50,000 to kill King. Yeah. Byers refused, but the contract could have possibly reached James through prison connections. Yeah. Another prisoner claimed that James had tried to involve him in the assassination plot against King. In March of 1966, James once tried to scale again, once tried to scale the walls of the prison, but again was caught in the act. Yeah. In the following trial, James pleaded temporary insanity, and he ex- but he exhibited no evidence of psychosis, but was a psychopathic personality, antisocial type with anxiety and depressive features. So there was definitely something wrong, wrong with this guy. Yeah. In early 1964, he was assigned to the prison bakery where he began planning his next breakout. James' next breakout attempt took out on April the 23rd, 1967, where he hid inside a container used to carry bread through the prison. Mm-hmm. And then accomplices loaded him onto the truck, taking him to the first stop, and then he jumped off the truck and took off. Back in the jail, his accomplices told the prison that he was still inside the prison. So then they spent two days looking for him inside the prison, giving James enough time to make his getaway. Five or six weeks later, he met up with his brothers, John and Jerry, in Chicago, and he revealed his plan to kill Martin Luther King. Although they disagreed, they didn't think they could get any money out of it. Yeah. On July the 13th, James and John robbed a bank in their hometown. And two days later, James was in Montreal, Canada, now going by the alias Eric Galt. So you see now things starting to play because Galt was the guy who was registered at the motel and stuff. I wonder how much he stole from the bank. I wonder. Because, like, why would he have to? Well, I guess he's out of prison. He doesn't have money. Yeah, I mean, you've just spent how many... And he's been in prison for a while. He possibly he could have been. Years. He possibly could have been paid, hey, by people to kill King. Because, like, why would I rob a bank to go and kill someone? Doesn't make sense. I'd keep yeah. the money and live my life. No, exactly. Huh. So James needed a clean Canadian passport and identity, and this is when he meant a smuggler. And the smuggler agreed if James would then smuggle unidentified packages over the border. 
He was doing so well that he was offered $20,000 to start smuggling dangerous weapons from Mexico into Alabama. By the end of 1967, James was living in Birmingham, where he bought the white Mustang and started taking his dancing lessons. So do you see now everything is yeah. coming into place? Also, guys, when you're doing a crime, don't use your own car. Exactly. Especially if your dress is registered. <sighs> no, steal the car. No, please don't. <laughs> James also advocated for the presidential candidate George Wallace, who was an outspoken segregationist. He also contacted the ultra-conservative John Bricks Society, asking for information on moving to Rhodesia. This man was set on coming to Rhodesia, I'm telling you. I'm glad he did it, because he would have had the worst yeah, time of was, his yeah, life. He would have got off the plane and been like, where am I? <laughs> he probably heard the name and he's like, that's a nice place. In March of 1968, he underwent some minor plastic surgery for his nose before leaving L.A. He moved to Alabama, and this is where he started stalking Martin Luther King Jr. He moved from Selma to Montgomery to Birmingham and finally Atlanta, Georgia, where he purchased the 760 rifle. On the 3rd of April, James then checked into the Rebel Motel in Memphis. On the 4th, he left the Rebel Hotel and checked into the rooming house. And then he went out. He bought binoculars. He moved into the bathroom. We had a clear view of the motel King was in. And at 6 p.m., the, obviously, the patrol officer could see King in the balcony. And then came the shot. And James fled. Now, where did he go? Because... Obviously, we said he rushed off in his white mustache. He must have been waiting for a long time because he didn't know when King was coming That's out. That's why they said people started to notice that yeah, the like, bathroom was occupied. Guys, do you know the bathroom has been occupied the exactly. whole day? Did he have snacks? Ew. Okay. Ew, in the bathroom. Though. I know, oh, but like... Mm. By the 6th, James was back in Canada. <laughs> okay, and he started looking for another passport. He went to the public library and searched up two newspapers from 1932, picked out two random names, asked for books their birth certificates, duplicated them, and then uh, rented two separate rooms to provide two different residential addresses, okay? He then uh, was able to obtain a duplicate birth certificate for Raymond George Snide, and then he asked a travel agent to handle the request of a new passport, which was issued on April the 24th. Now, let's go back to the FBI investigation. Now, agents discovered James's identity, but the, like we said earlier, the trail then went cold. Yeah. They proceeded to question um, inmates in the Missouri prison, and they told him that the, he had planned to get a Canadian passport. Following the clue, they reached out to the Canadian police, and they helped review all the passes, passports issued. They then found out that Raymond George Schneid matched the photo of James Earl Ray. Yeah. The application had been filed by the same travel agency that Snide had asked then and bought a round-trip ticket to London, which departed on the 6th and was going to return on the 21st of May. However, they then found out that when Snide got there, he replaced his ticket and exchanged his ticket for a fare to Lisbon, Portugal. So he literally went, Canada, London, Portugal. <laughs> so this man is on the run, okay? Because then he then went back... Oh, no, sorry, he didn't go back to London. He went to Portugal on the 7th. Then he was trying to get to Angola, He's Why going to the wrong place. To Africa if, he's a, if, if, he's a, if he's a racist person. Well, did he not know what Africa was? <laughs> Clearly not. Okay. Why are you coming to Angola? I don't know where you were oh going, my sir. Goodness. Wrong so, direction. But then he couldn't get anything 
or he couldn't secure passage to Angola. So luckily, because he, he would have killed people. Back to London. So he uh, we went Canada, London, Portugal. Couldn't get to Angola. Back to London, and that was where he was arrested on the eighth at the Heathrow Airport. And he was apparently about to leave for Belgium because he wanted to join a mercenary force. This man. This man. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go be a mercenary. Like, what? So random. But anyway. James knowingly and voluntarily then pleaded guilty to first-degree murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he also signed a confession for firing the fatal shot in exchange for his plea. James was sentenced to 99 years in prison, which is basically like a death sentence. Yeah. But now this seems like a clean case cl- closed quickly, swiftly. Yeah. But what if it is not? Because mm-hmm. this wouldn't be our show without something <laughs> wrong. Without a conspiracy. So James later recanted his confession, giving contrasting accounts for what happened on the 4th of April. In one version, he claims that he, this mysterious smuggler was the one who actually fired the shot and it, he had just made James buy the rifle and drive the Mustang. Sure. Sure. That's why they saw one person. In another version, James claimed that he was the fall guy for an FBI conspiracy. In the third version, the smuggler had asked James to wait in the Mustang while he was meeting a supposed gun runner. And as James waited, he realized the tires were low on pressure, drove to a service station. But when he returned, he saw the area was swarmed with police and later found out King was shot. Okay, but then why were you speeding away? Yes, like they shot him. Like that doesn't make sense. Oh, it doesn't Wait, 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 what? wait, wait. People saw him speed away before the police got there. Yeah. So how did you come back? Exactly. Because I'm pretty sure they would have noticed it. The white and they saw him back. running out of the place with that thing in his hand. Exactly. So what? What happened there, sir? Service station. Okay. In the years following his arrest, all the way up to his death, he. Re- repeatedly asserted that he was innocent and that now it's fairly unbelievable that he's innocent yeah well not completely innocent yeah if that makes sense like whether he shot he was definitely involved somehow yes okay but there are enough crumbs for a conspiracy so for instance on in 1976 the house select committee discussions had evidence of how director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, had ordered extensive surveillance and even sabotage actions against Dr. King. These actions were motivated by the unfound claims that he was complying with communists. Wow. Sure. Select Committee re-examined evidence from King's assassination and the Department of Justice ordered a review of the investigation. Right? The final report chief counsel Robert Bakley theorized that James may have had co-conspicuators and may have been part of the plot to collect the 50000 offered but by supporters of George Wallace, but there is no evidence to support the theory or show government involvement. Of course, you work for the government, you'd say that. But yeah. anyway, he claimed his claims were backed by his lawyer. So now this... Um, Ray, J- uh, what's his name? James Earl oh, Ray's right. claims were backed by his lawyer William F. Pepper, and also backed by the King family. Hmm. So when the family of the person you supposedly killed is backing you, 
what's going on? Exactly. What is going on? So, the theory goes that this plot was masterminded by J. Edgar Hoover and his assistant Clyde Tolson. It also included the Mafia, Army Special Forces, the Memphis Police Department, and the Missouri Prison Authorities. So basically how it goes is that while James was in prison, he was seen as a promising patsy. And so the mafia sent the smuggler from Canada to manipulate him. On the day of the shooting, the shot was fired by a sniper of the Memphis police. Okay. Among many witnesses backing these allegations, Pepper identified Lloyd Joers, who was the owner of the restaurant facing the motel where King had died. He claimed that he had hidden the murder weapon behind the bar and the smuggler later disposed of it. But how did he dispose of it if they found it? Yeah. Okay. Pepper also identified the infamous smuggler allegedly as an auto worker from Yorkers, New York. Pepper claims they were, well, his claims were taken seriously by the Department of Justice, and in 1998, Attorney General Janet Renault assigned civil rights special counsel Barry Kowalski to investigate the case. In the meantime, Pepper and the King fa- um, family filed civil lawsuits for wrongful death against Lloyd Jowers. So they basically were like, this man had a part to play, yeah. things like that. In 1999, <coughs> the Memphis jury ruled the that the local, state, and federal governments were liable for King's death, but the recently deceased James was not exonerated as a result, and the jury's verdict also contradicted the findings of the Kowalski inquiries. So Kowalski actually found the work records of the, the, young, the Yonkers guy that they said now was the smuggler. Yeah. And he was actually, it turned out that he wasn't. So this could not have been the smuggler from Canada. And they also agreed that Lloyd's, testimony changed too many times for it to be seen as credible. Yeah. Moreover, he had recorded saying that he would tailor his story for financial gain. In conclusion, there was no credible or reliable evidence that Dr. King was killed by conspicuous who framed James Earl Ray, though it is agreed he may have had help. So what are your thoughts? Because in, in last week's episode, it said that the government was involved or either like more white supremacists yeah. and this guy was kind of like a scapegoat. I don't know. I just feel like, although what is thing is that he confessed and then recanted. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? That's it, yeah. But, I don't know. I don't know. For me, it's like such a high profile man there's no way that but one person could have would be able it. to do it by themselves, so, especially with such no, high I, surveillance of, of I Martin Luther. I definitely do think, like, you know, for example, the white supremacists yeah. all coming together and maybe paying yeah. for it because yeah. it was causing noise. Yeah. Civil rights movement did cause, cause, a, lot of, cause a lot of noise. Yeah. So I could understand that, but... What also the thing is for me is we had lots of assassinations yeah. during this time. The sixties were a time where the the public were up and ready to fight yeah. authority. And so to see like Kennedy being assassinated, Martin Luther King is being assassinated. Yeah. John Lennon being assassinated. You do you see? It's like it's, uh, there was a it's definitely a pattern. I believe that it's either the Secret Service that was involved well, I mean, in we all believed, of them. You or know, if again if you haven't listened, go listen to our JFK yes. episode. But we believed that it was definitely some um 
like CIA thing who killed Kennedy. Yeah, because even now after there's been new footage of the man with the umbrella and he's just standing. <laughs> oh, that was actually such a good Because they blamed him. No, so I don't know. I feel like, I mean, because also Malcolm X was also assassinated. Yeah. But that was because of faith reasons. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just, the fact that King's family stood with him yeah. is also a bit strange. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. And, I mean, he did make mistakes. I mean, surely if you... I mean, if you've planned out all these false identities yeah. to get yourself to Canada, to London, why leave the weapon Yeah, with fingerprints? Yeah. Surely you would have worn gloves. Yeah. You're not dumb. You worked in the army. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? It's like yeah. a little bit... I feel like that was left parts, there. Some parts were so well planned yeah. out, and then there's the other the parts stupid were sloppy. parts that's yeah. sloppy, and that for me is like there's two different personalities. Unless he did give it to somebody to dispose of it, and they didn't, and they didn't or on purpose. He is the one who's sloppy because yeah. he's a criminal or whatever. Yeah. Because he, I mean, this man wasn't a boss man. He got yeah. caught multiple times. Yeah. He's not like a pink panther jewel. You're right. Yeah. Okay. What if the person behind it was the one who like was got well the, organized? No, yes, got the identity yeah. sorted out, all, I of that, see all that, of that, yeah. all of that. But then the idiot uses his own car, leaves the weapon. Do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? Goes for dancing classes, it, like leaves a trail, basically. No, why, exactly. And don't abandon the car if you know it's registered to you. Yeah. Burn the car, throw the car in the river. I don't yeah. care what you do with it. Drop it off a cliff for yeah. sakes. But you see, I feel there's just one side of it is so well done. Yeah. And the other side is it's like sloppy. ready. So there's definitely two people playing. Yeah. If it was the government, I am not 100% sure. I know it could have been because, you know, Martin Luther King was trying to get laws put in place. Yeah. Could have been. And also, I think the one thing was his determination and passion to go to Africa. Why was he blocked from going to Angola? Because then he was scot-free. I feel like they blocked him on purpose because yeah. they wanted to catch him. But you, you see what I'm saying? Also, the fact that you think and you, you're going to be in a non-black area in Rhodesia. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a person who's masterminding the yeah. whole assassination no. attempt. Nope. Getting all these passports Mm-mm. from Canada. No. No. Not Even you. going to the library, picking out random names. Like, yeah. I'm telling you, he was instructed to do that. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, I definitely... Did he pull the trigger? Possibly, because mm. he is qualified. Yeah. So I think he was the actual person to kill Martin Luther King, but I think there was a much bigger person behind the scenes. Yeah. I don't think this man could have pulled it off by himself. No, not by himself. And also, I, I mean, to be honest, he didn't have a big enough motive by himself. Yes, yeah. he hated African Americans. He wanted segregation, that type of stuff. But to the point where you're going to go assassinate Martin Luther King Just Jr. to run away. That doesn't make just sense to run unless away you have money. Because... Exactly. Yeah. So you you see, I feel like the whole plot of like maybe it was the business owners or there's definitely which one it is. I'm not sure if it was the government, if it was the business owners, white supremacists, whatever, whatever. I'm not sure. But this man, I do not believe did this by himself. Yeah. And I do think he was probably definitely paid. Yeah. Because you're right. Why rob a bank, go to Canada? Why are you coming back? That doesn't make sense, yeah. Why are you coming back? You're scot-free in Canada. What are they going to do to you? Yeah. And you've just got a new passport. You could have gone anywhere. Yeah. But you come back. Doesn't make sense. No. So I definitely think there is more to the story. What? 
I know after 70 years, documents have to get released. When was this? 68. Because I'm also waiting for the Kennedy documents, classified be stuff. Because there's this law There'll in America. Stuff missing, Obviously, but after 70 we'll years or something, something like that, like documents have to be made public. Yeah. I don't know the exact law, but let's see. So 68 plus 70. 2038. Huh. I'll be waiting. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that is it for this week. Shaman, yeah. he was such a nice little man. Yeah. King. I love his I Have a Dream speech. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, And, I mean, we learned at school, we learned about the civil the rights movement and black power movement. And Martin Luther King kept it peaceful. He said, if the, the people are going to attack you, you don't attack back. Yeah. Because then you're you're just in the wrong. Whereas yeah. the Black Power movement went, um, yeah, very militant. <laughs> <laughs> so I shame. I liked him. I was sad that he he died. But you know, this is a little bit of a a sketchy one. Although I think I always thought assassinations are never that simple. Yeah, there's always something more. John Lennon, all of it. There's always something yeah. more behind the scenes. But anyway, yeah. for this week. From now until next time, no mourners, no funerals. Active FM is everywhere Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Gab, and so much more. See all the fun posts, get involved in the interesting discussions. Voice your opinions and get the updates by following us on social media. 